Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm on the elder team here at Park Community and on the preaching team with uh, Andrew, Matt, and Jeff. Um, so just in case you guys don't know, I don't know that um, Andrew's mentioned this, but we meet every week early on Wednesday mornings, very early, and we talk about the passage that we're going to be preaching about the next week. Um, and it's one of the highlights of my week, but we take turns preaching. Uh, this morning, Andrew is preaching at Elmwood Evangelical Free Church. They are kind of in the process of thinking about where they're headed for the future, and they've been really encouraged and interested in hearing about what we went through with the merge. Um, so Andrew's there preaching, kind of giving them a vision of, of God and what he can do for churches. Um, typically, I find it hard to preach the long passages that Andrew gives us to preach. And now with Hebrews, we're going at our own pace, and I find myself preaching all of chapter 3. So that's just how it ends up. Um, so if you want to open up your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 3. Um, I believe it's, yeah, up there, page 1002 in your pew Bible. I was uh, very convicted reading through this chapter this week. I was preaching to myself a lot in my plumbing truck during the week. And this is kind of, this is the first sort of so what moment in the book of Hebrews. So let me read um, chapter 3 and then I'll pray as we start. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned 
whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I first lift up Andrew this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give him power to proclaim your word. Lord, help him to give Elmwood a fresh vision of you, a fresh vision of the promises that you have for, his, for your church. And Lord, I ask now that you would fill me with your spirit as I proclaim your word. Give me clarity. And Lord, I ask that you would open up our hearts as we look into your word and what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been, Hebrews 1 and 2, we've been talking about a lot of big ideas. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus has come down, the incarnation, what he's done for us. And now there, at the beginning of chapter 3, there's a little bit more big idea stuff. So looking back at the first, first few verses here, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So the, the author's pointing us to Jesus. He's showing us that Jesus was faithful to his calling. Consider Jesus' faithfulness to his calling. And his, his faithfulness to his calling brings him more glory than Moses. That doesn't quite hit us the way it would have hit the Jews reading this. To them, Moses was the man. I mean, he was their Messiah. So to hear this author say, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, would have been a pretty big statement for them. And he, he talks about how Moses was faithful to God's house in bringing a message that was to come. And his, the reasoning is, okay, if you followed Moses and what he brought, and Jesus is more worthy than Moses, how much more should you follow what Jesus does? Consider what Jesus has done and how he was faithful to his calling. This, the calling of Jesus is what we talked about last week in chapter 2. The, the incarnation. Jesus came down. He suffered as the Son of God. And he suffered for your sins. He was faithful in that calling. So then he goes on in verse 5 and 6. And now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So here he's talking about Jesus' role. He was faithful, Jesus was faithful to his calling, and he was faithful to his role as a son of the Father. 
And now at the beginning of verse 6, he comes to us. So he's setting up an example for you. Consider how Jesus was faithful to his calling and consider how Jesus was faithful to his role. And now it's your turn. First part of verse 6. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So here, here's the roles. Moses was a servant of the house. Jesus was the son of the father of the house. And you are the house. So he's saying, consider how Jesus and Moses were faithful to their calling and their role. Now you be faithful to your calling and your role as the house. And then he gets into what is your role. Now, before we get there, we've got to step back a little bit and get a, a big picture of the Christian life. There's the phrase that's tossed around, once saved, always saved. And in a sense, that's absolutely true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The moment you become saved, your sins are gone forever. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Nothing. No sin. But I think when we say that, what we mean is, once saved, do whatever you want. Relax. Just let, just let life happen. I think that's what we mean when we say it. And that's absolutely not true in the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to do a quick run through the book of Hebrews on how it views your life as a Christian, your role and your calling. Just close your eyes and listen to these and see if you can get the, the sense of what this Christian life thing is about. The verse we just read, 3, 6. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 4.1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 6.11 through 12, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. 10, 35 through 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. 12.14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There's something at stake here. There, there's a war to be fought, and there's a race to be run in your life. The Christian life is portrayed less like a vacation and more like a 24-7 job with no time off. The Christian life is portrayed less like a prize and more like the race to the prize. Your membership in a local church is portrayed less like membership in a peaceful social club and more like deployment on the front lines during a war. And your relationships with each other are portrayed not as lighthearted, innocent fun, but more like soldiers sharing a foxhole. There is work to be done on our souls in the Christian life. So let's, as a church, let's not look at it as once saved, always saved. But let's look at it as once freed, always running. It's like canoeing up a river. If you stop paddling, you don't sit still, you're going backwards. Always running. So he gives you a personal warning in the next few verses. Verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, um, side, and side note, that phrase there, th think about that in relation to how you should think about the Bible, okay? He says, therefore, the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do you remember the, that story? Moses... And the Israelites are freed out of Egypt, and they stop running. God gets upset with them, and he says, fine, none of you 
are entering the promised land. And they wander around for 40 years until that entire generation dies off. And then he brings them in. That's his warning to you. And in a sense, I'm pleading with you not to plow over these verses with your knowledge of the gospel, saying, oh, well, that can't be about me. I'm, I'm saved by faith and grace. There's nothing wrong here. Don't plow over these with that. He goes on, and at this point, you have to listen to this for yourself. Jonathan Edwards wrote a, a letter to a young lady, and it was, it was published as advice to young converts. And one of his points in there was, when you listen to a sermon, listen to it for yourself and no one else. That was his advice to young converts. And as we get into this, I'm just pleading with you to listen. This is for you, not the person next to you, not your wife or your husband. It's for you. So this is God's word for you this morning. Verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters. Watch out. Be on your guard. Take care. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you, do you feel your heart? Do you listen to it? Do you every day try to figure out what your heart's doing, what it's craving, how it's feeling? Because you should relate to this verse. You feel it every day, just uh, something deep down just lurking, trying, reaching for everything except for God. And if you don't feel that, there's, there's probably two reasons. Either you're just not paying close enough attention, or two, you're, you're numbing it, and you're, you're reaching for everything to fill your life with hobbies, work, sports, games, whatever, to keep you busy because if you stop moving, you gotta look here. The, so the song we sang, Oh to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. A, a fetter is the, the ankle chains that they put around prisoners. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And that's our song every day. But he gives us an antidote. Okay, he gives us a solution. And this is where your role comes in to the house. This is your calling and your role. 
verse 12. Or sorry, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when looking at myself, sin is, is inside, deceitful, it's working, it's got cravings. What is me, Mark, what is my hope of holding firm till the end? It's you. You're my hope. You're exhorting of me to hold fast. I might not make it without you. That's what he's saying here. You got to feel the weight of that. There, there are things going on inside me, deceitfulness of sin, ways my heart is working that I can't see, but you might be able to. And if you call me out on it, I'll hold fast. I'll cling to the gospel. We need each other. This is, this is a better community that he's calling us to. Not one where we act like everything's okay all the time, but where we're on the lookout for people who need gospel. Just need another glimpse of what we can hold to. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? There is a level of deceit in sin that you can't, you can't take care of by yourself. Op, uh, open up to Mark 14. I'm not sure what page number that is, but Mark chapter 14. I had the chance to preach on this passage back in the City Vision days. So some of you have heard my thoughts on this passage before. But for me, and I'm not saying this just for emotional effect to build you up for something. For me, this is the scariest passage in the Bible. It terrifies me. Mark 14, starting verse 17. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is with the disciples. They're having dinner together just before he's betrayed. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. Now all the disciples, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Now some of you might be thinking, what, what's so scary about that? What's scary about it is what it doesn't say. Okay, think about it. 
these 12 disciples were with each other every day for three years, ministering with Jesus. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And not one of the disciples said, I bet it's Judas. I always thought he was a little weird. Not one of them says that. I mean, are, are you kidding me? Not one of them suspected Judas. In fact, they suspected themselves over Judas. This, this is a view of sin that is so cunning, so deceitful. You don't send a chance against this enemy by yourself. You, you can't. There's too much deceit. We need each other. Looking into each other's lives, exhorting each other in the gospel. The next verse, 14, is the author's attempt at explaining how this works. And this is one of those weird paradox verses. Verse 14, Hebrews 3. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we have come if we hold. Our, our present sharing in Christ together is dependent on a future holding of the confidence in the gospel. Your present assurance of sharing with Christ is that there's a continual holding and keeping of your confidence in the gospel. I don't know how that works, but that's how he explains it. Your future holding is what makes you share now. So are you seeing why the encouragement of each other is such an important thing? Your holding of the gospel, holding firm your confidence, enduring the race, lasting till the end, is how you share now. If you don't hold fast your confidence till the end, you're not sharing in Christ now. Sin will take hold if you're not holding fast continually. Sin takes hold. That deceit takes over. If someone's life shows no resemblance to how we are called to live in the Bible, it does no good to tell them, oh, don't, don't worry, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter. You're saved by faith. That does no good. That doesn't point them back to the firm confidence 
what it does is just gives them a fake sense of, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because if you're not living this way, you're probably not holding the confidence. You're missing something. If it walks like a duck, looks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If there's no love for the gospel of Christ, no care to live out your godly calling and role, no concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ and your family in Christ, you're probably not a Christian. And listen, we need to be a people that when we see things that off, just out of tune with this, we don't say, oh, just ignore it, you're saved. But no, we say, hey, let's, let's sit down and talk about the gospel again. Let's remind each other of our hope, our confidence. We got to be a people where that conversation is not offensive well, how, how dare you doubt I'm a Christian? No, we ought to see that as a gift. The gift of each other pointing each other back to the gospel. I fear we are too quick to tell each other, oh, don't worry, you're probably fine. It's not a big deal. Get back to the gospel. Exhort each other every day, as long as it's called today. So what, what does this look like? How? How do we do this? Um, Matt came up with this. I don't know if Matt's here. I think he's gone this weekend. Matt came up. I don't know if he came up with it, but I'm giving him credit for it because he mentioned it on Wednesday. But... Picture your Christian life as hoops that you're jumping through. I think we do this a lot. And let's use the example of the fruits of the Spirit. So you've got your joy hoop, you've got your peace hoop, you've got your patience hoop. And when you wake up thinking about your Christian life, you think, oh, I really need, to, need more patience today, so, or I need more joy, so I'll just be, I'll be happier today. When we're talking about exhorting each other, it's not exhorting each other to get those two hoops back in your life. It's exhorting each other to get back in the one hoop of the gospel. And all those other hoops come in. It's the staying in the gospel hoop is how we do it. Reminding ourselves every day that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It, there's something in the reminder that you are cleansed, that cleanses you. And when you are reminded of the gospel that you stand in, all these other things come into focus.
So it's not pointing out individual behavior. It's saying, okay, let's get back to the gospel hoop. What, what do you know about the gospel? What do you know about Jesus saving you? And how is that working in your life? It's about getting comfortable having those conversations with each other. That's what the community of the church is about. Um, open up to Romans 1. We get a little glimpse in Paul's uh, introduction of this idea. Romans 1 verse uh, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he's praying all the time. I love you guys. I've been praying to come and see you. And here's his reason. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he, he explains what he means by that. That is that we be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he says, I want to come to you and give you a spiritual gift. And the gift is, I want to hear your testimony and I want you to hear mine. I want you to hear my story of the gospel and I want to hear your story of the gospel. That's the gift. And that mutual encouragement is what Paul desired to bring them when he went. It gives you a little image of how we should see that. The mutual encouragement of each other's experience of the gospel. So a couple of questions for you to think about as we close. If you have a journal, write these down. These are worth at least a few pages in your journal. So question number one, do you come to church or do you go to community group as if souls are at stake? Sometimes I feel like I come here on a Sunday morning as if nothing's at stake. Come to it the same, same way you come to a TV show. Okay, I wonder how this week will be. Do you come here as if something's at stake in your being here? Do you come to church or go to community group as if your soul is at stake? Do you come on the lookout for hearing just a, a glimpse of the gospel? So, sometimes we come in on a Sunday morning or to community group and it's just been the greatest week ever. Other times, there are people coming in and they are just crawling in here on a Sunday morning. Just 
hoping to get one just little glimpse to make it through the next week. Do you view your relationships as fun, relaxing, hang out? Or do you view your relationships as vital links in the chain of your faith? What, what place do they hold? What level are your conversations? Do you see your conversations as having the power to keep a person's confidence firm till the end? Let us be a people, let us be a community that lives out our role and our calling to constantly share the gospel with each other. Always, every day. Take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the first so what, now what do you do moment in Hebrews. You live out your role and your calling in our community to be on the lookout for people who need to hear the gospel every day and mutually encourage each other in that. Let's pray together. Father, your, your gospel works in so many different ways. The, the mystery of us sharing in you if we hold till the end is something that will take our entire life to understand and to work through. Lord, I ask that you would help us. I ask that you would open our eyes to see people who need to hear the gospel. Keep us mindful that it might, might not even be a huge thing. And maybe it's just one phrase that we aren't even thinking about. We throw it out there, but it sticks with them, and it gives them an image to hold on to of your gospel. It gives them confidence. Lord, prepare our hearts to share the gospel with each other. Help us have confidence to share the gospel with each other everywhere we go. We lift these things up in your name. Amen.